So today I want to talk, especially if your heart's breaking, you suffer, you're troubled by what's going on in our world, Advent is for you. This day is for you. Today we got to talk about, as we're on this journey of radical acceptance, today we have to talk about what radical acceptance is not, or will really mess up our lives and our faith. So radical acceptance is not a convenient way to get out of difficulty. Radical acceptance is not apathy about what's going on in the world. It's not a lack of prophetic zeal or activism or involvement. It is not a soft path that allows me to not have to face difficulties. It is not an excuse for conflict avoidance or difficult conversations. It is none of those things. It encompasses a very dark truth and suffering and the need for uh, deep courage. And we see buried in the Christmas story, a story of great darkness, a Christmas carol of haunting beauty that we'll get to today. It's striking when you look at the prayers in Scripture, mostly in the Psalms, that the vast majority of them look very little like gentle exercises in willing mindfulness and the acceptance of what's going on in our world. Quite to the contrary, the great majority of them are protests. And there's a very important reason for this. Folks who work with uh, emotional health and attachment and doing research into uh, human well-being will say that for a child to grow up and be able to accept, face, and, and uh, surrender to the reality that is around me, one of the things that I need is what they will call validation. I need somebody, hopefully a parent, who looks at uh, my cries, my unhappiness when I bring up emotionally unpleasant thoughts or feelings or behaviors, and they validate it. That doesn't necessarily mean that they agree with it or say that it's all accurate, but they notice it, and they care about it, and they seek to understand it. And then that tells me it is okay for me to look at these unpleasant or difficult or frightening or angry thoughts and emotions. In a situation, a family, say, that is invalidating, a child may cry and the parent may just ignore it and not care about it. Or might say something like, what are you crying for? You got nothing to cry about. I got something to cry about. And then it's very confusing because the child is left to think, well, I guess that I'm not sad or I guess that I'm not hungry or I'm not cold. Now, as we grow older, all of us carry wounds and we need to find deep validation, not just because all of our families were imperfect, but because our world is messed up and there is brokenness inside of us. Where do we go to find validation, utter acceptance for our souls that will allow us to grow into people who are able to offer radical acceptance? And of course, we go to God. And now this is why these uh, prayers in the Bible are so striking. Ellen Davis wrote a book called Getting Involved with God, Rediscovering the Old Testament. It's a wonderful book. But she writes about how surprising it is that most of the Psalms seem so dark. And this is especially important, I think, during Advent, because there's the danger that the Christmas season is a time of great sentimentality. And we do not look deeply at human grief and confusion and anguish and then instead of growing closer to God, we will go farther from him because you cannot be in an intimate relationship with somebody with whom we do not speak honestly. And I must be honest with God. And so must you. Ellen writes, 
First of all, the psalmists focus so much on themselves. These cries of anguish and rage seem to violate all the rules for Christian prayer. Most of these laments start with me. Look at me, God. Listen to me. It is I and me, my trouble, my salvation all the way through. And we are that way. Moreover, these prayers are not polite. The psalmists accuse God of abandonment, of murder, of falling asleep on the job. They try to bribe God. They tell God to just go away. Finally, and most offensively, the psalmists take an unchristian attitude towards their enemies. They pray devoutly that terrible things will happen to them, even including, blessed be the one that dashes the heads of your little ones against the rocks. When's the last time you heard that one at a Christmas Eve service? And yet, and yet, and yet, there's something terribly important going on in these prayers. Ellen writes, what they show is, the belief that God cares about my pain and can be expected to do something about it. This is a remarkable assumption when you think about it, which we hardly ever do, that the God who made heaven and earth should care that I am hurting. Yet, it is the only thing that explains this strange style of biblical prayer, a style without parallel in the ancient world. In other words, there was no other form of religious exception, uh, expression in the ancient world outside of Israel that lamented, protested, cried out to a God in this way. Only Israel did that. In no other culture did people pray to the high God in language that was so strong, so forthright, even so rude. Wake up, God. Why are you sleeping? We haven't forgotten you. Why have you forgotten us? And it is striking, too, that the rest of the scripture is put mostly in the form of God's words to us through the prophets or the letters of Paul or the narrative stories of Israel or Jesus. Only the Psalms, mostly, for the most part, are human words to God. And yet, because they're in the Bible, they become also God's words to us. These very words of lament and protest and anger and shock and confusion. And then she says, here's a remarkable thing. The Lament Psalms regularly trace a movement from complaint to confidence in God, from desperate petition to anticipatory praise, yet they make that move without ever telling us that the external situation has changed for the better. What has changed is the psalmist's experience of suffering. And perhaps that has changed because she has dared to break the isolation of silence and knows that God is heard. For God, for God is the one who validates our broken hearts and wounded souls. The fact that the Psalms never clearly report a change in external circumstances is one mark of the Bible's persistent realism. Prayer is not always answered in the terms we expect and long for. The answer may be given in a way that is not even perceptible to someone looking at the situation from the outside. God answered intense prayers for my friend Marty's healing as she was dying from a brain tumor. During the 15 months following the operation that confirmed her diagnosis, she was steadily and at last fully healed from a lifelong sickness of sadness. It was a time of growing joy and freedom, a period punctuated by laughter as well as tears, as Marty gradually shed the crippling anxiety she had known for a lifetime. She died on Holy Saturday, and she died confident that she had been delivered. 
in the middle of the Advent story is a description of how King Herod, in order to protect his throne, decided that he would kill all the baby boys around the vicinity of Bethlehem. It's called the slaughter of the innocents. And there's a verse taken from the Old Testament to describe the lament, Rachel weeping for her children. Rachel had been buried in Ramah and the exiles leaving Israel had had to pass by there many centuries earlier. So this is from the prophet Jeremiah. Weeping and not just mourning, but great mourning. Rachel mourning for her children and refusing to be comforted. No cliches. No trite expressions of faith. No, everything's going to be okay. No uh, chirpy, saccharine spirituality. Refusing to be comforted. I will not be comforted. I will not make you feel better by saying that I am in less pain than I actually am in. I protest. I lament. That's in the Bible. That is God's word to us to be our word to God. One of the oldest Christmas carols, although we hardly ever hear it, it dates back at least to the early 1500s, is called the Coventry Carol. It is a hauntingly beautiful lullaby being sung to the little children who were about to be slaughtered by Herod. Then Herod king in his raging charged he hath this day his men of might within his sight all children young to slay. That's a Christmas carol. Rachel refuses to be comforted. God must set things right. People very often think of this time of year as a time of getting ready for Christmas, but it's not. We've kind of turned Advent, which is part of the church year, into the Christmas season. Advent is primarily getting ready not for the coming of Christmas, but for the next coming of Jesus, when he must set everything right. And until then, we lament. Last week, Nancy and I were in Portland, and I got to talk to a friend that I had not seen for a couple of years. And he asked how we were doing and expressed uh, lots of connection and care and then told me how his adult son, after 22 years of struggling with bipolar disorder that he did not ask for, had taken his own life in suicide. We talked to a mom with young children who has been given a diagnosis about as dire as a diagnosis can be while her children are still quite young. Rachel lamenting for her children, refusing to be comforted. That's part of our calling to you. What is at the heart of it is the belief that in the midst of what we do not know and that we must name, that we must lament, that we must protest, there is a God who cares. That too is what it is to be human. That too is faith. So today, what do you need to lament? What do you need to protest? Where do you need to be honest with God? I will not put a ribbon on this. I will not put a ribbon on this because I don't need a ribbon in my own life. I don't have one. This too is faith. This too is Advent. I'll see you next time.